Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing today? Good, I hope. Well, I'm doing fantastic. And as you know, I, even though you're not going to hear this for a little bit, we're still in January here. And last week I told you guys that, you know, cold weather wimps here in South Florida went down into the 40s and uh, it was for like a couple of days. And we were like, oh, <laughs> I'm telling you, you realize what a wimp you are. You're like multi-layered because we don't have big coats over here. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of sweaters and we're walking around like, <laughs> how many scarves can you put around your head? But anyway, yeah, the weather's back uh, a little bit more normal around here, which is it's actually dipping into the 60s at night. And, you know, since I live out a little bit further west, uh, away from the beaches, like close to the Everglades, it's a little bit cooler, but uh, it's nice weather and um, not fireplace weather. How's that? Which is what we had last week. And um, as a matter of fact, and of course, you know, uh, you guys know it's uh, like I told my guest, you know, every once in a while you're going to hear that my weird sounds because now it's dusk and all my, especially the parrots. I've got some blue crowns and any of you who are familiar with parrots will know that there's two times uh, during the day, especially that they just like, God, make a lot of noise at sunup and sundown. So you guys all know what that's about. But anyway, let's get to the good part anyway. And, and also, um, I did want to remind you guys that as far as links for either the shows on YouTube or MP3s, if you want to download the mp3 files for the shows or just listen to them directly you can go to marlenepardo.com or miamighostchronicles.com either one um you can visit that and of course if you have any questions suggestions or if you want to send me a story over just send it to marlene at miamighostchronicles.com but anyway let's get to the good part guys and you're going to be very excited when you hear that I have a gentleman today by the name of Father Nathan G. Castle. Now, for the past 20 years, he has helped at least 250 people who died suddenly in order to adjust to the afterlife. Now, these are victims of fires, automobile accidents, shootings, stabbings, and drownings that came to him in his dreams seeking help for resolving their interrupted death experiences and although such contact with the other side was not something he sought out, Father Nathan has come to believe that providing such help is something the Holy Spirit has given him to do. In his new book, Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over, Father Nathan shares 13 of those stories, including that of a 20-year-old auto mechanic named Ray who died in 1960 in a car fire. Now, Ray remained in a state of anger and isolation until Father Nathan and a prayer partner were able to help him to come to terms with his fate. Uh, I'm going to repeat uh, Father Nathan's website address at the end of the show, but uh, for any of you that are interested in listening on the podcast, even though I'll include it in the credits of the show, it's nathan-castle.com, uh, nathan-castle.com. So how are you doing today, Father Nathan? I've never been better. It's good to be with you, Molly. Likewise. It is fantastic to be interviewing you. And um, I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests. Uh, how did this happen for you? Where was, was it something, like you said, they came to you in dreams? At what point did you realize this was maybe more than just a dream? How, how did this happen? This is, this has got to be so interesting. 
Yeah, it, it, it happened in two parts. Um, I grew, I'm, I'm almost, I'll be 64 in March. So um, for, uh, I grew up in a Catholic family in Southeast Texas. Mm-hmm. And part of the way I was taught about the universe and how it works is um, that we can send blessings to each other. You know, you can bless somebody that's around you or somebody that's across town or uh, in another state or even uh, someone who's died already. So I was used to praying for, um, for the living and the dead. And that was no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up as a little Catholic guy in, in Catholic school, and we were taught about heaven, hell, and purgatory, mm-hmm. and that a lot of people were in this sort of middle state, at least uh, when they died. But we could help them by praying for them and kind of speed them along. So um, I really liked doing that, and I fell asleep every night very busy helping people. I, I imagine that they must be in line. <laughs> That's the way I thought of it. Yeah. Well, my dad took me to the bank, and you know how when you go into a bank, they have yes. those ropes that go back and forth. Yes. I just thought it must be like that—that that you just, if you're patient, you'll get your turn. You just have to wait. Mm-hmm. But that if you got prayed for, you could cut in line. You get okay. there faster. And so that, as a child, that's what I was doing. And then um, I was ordained a priest in uh, when I was 29. And then about when I was 41 or two. Um, I was just on a retreat. I was I live in Arizona, and I was giving a retreat for some people up in the mountains in the northern part of the state. Went to sleep and had this dream that um, I'd like to tell your listeners about. Uh, you mentioned him already. His name is Ray. Okay, so uh, this the was dream, the first. This was the first dream that you had. This was the first experience that you had of, the, of this kind. Okay, of, uh, of what I call a contact dream. Okay. I, I, in my book, I make a distinction between having a dream and receiving a dream. Okay. That's, I just made that up myself. But like last night, I just had dreams about my cycle battle, the stuff going on in my head mm-hmm. in my life. But about once a week, I have one where somebody else gets in my stream of consciousness while I'm asleep and tells me enough about what they're upset about that I can uh, try to pray with partner and, and help them out. Usually, it's they're showing me scenes of how they died suddenly and violently. Yes. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned at the outset, car crashes and calamities of one kind or another. And uh, okay. but they're buffered. I'm not terrified. Uh, right. There, I believe the Holy Spirit does. He has loved me and is not going to mistreat me in my sleep. So uh, I, I, uh, I'm always respected. But I'm told just what I need to see to just to uh, have enough material to go on. Okay. So that time, it was a dream. I was I was minding my own business. In fact, I, I, I play golf, and I was dreaming about finishing a round of golf with a friend. Okay. So, so far, it's my business. We went into the bar to have a drink uh, after the round of golf, and we found that in the bar there was a silent auction going on for a charity. You, you know what that looks like? Have you been to one of those? No. A silent auction? No. no. Usually, they're... A lot of people have donated gift baskets or, uh, I don't know, memorabilia, sports memorabilia, or it could be concert tickets or restaurants. It could be just about anything that people can donate. And you walk around the room and you write on a piece of paper next to it what you're willing to bid on it. And it might go on for an hour and everybody else, if, if you get interested in something, you uh, you keep checking back on it to make sure that you still, you know, that somebody hasn't... Uh, on above you in the auction. Okay. And then at, at the end of the hour or whatever they call a time, and then whoever had the highest bid, you know, pays back to the charity and gets the thing that they bid on. 
So anyway, I was at a silent option. I, and I've run nonprofits most of my life. <laughs> so raising okay. money is familiar. Um, so anyway, I was at this silent auction with my, my friend having finished the round of golf. And I look across the room and I see the horrible piece of art on the wall in a frame. And I said to my friend, look at that god-awful thing. It's so horrible. <laughs> who, would, who would donate that to a charity? But, um, you know, Marlene House, sometimes when there's a car crash on the interstate, yes. you know that it's terrible, but you want to look at it anyway. No matter what, yeah. Uh, and so I, I crossed the room to get a closer look at it. And when I started to get near it, it moved toward me. And it was sort of like a big screen TV, you know, uh -huh. just about those, you know, I don't know what the 50 inch screens or something. Anyway, yes. it moved toward me and inside the frame, a little film started to play. It went into motion. And I was looking at a guy who was in his early 20s. He was sitting on the hood. Well, not on the hood, actually on the radiator of an old car from the late 50s, the kind with lots of chrome and fins. Mm -hmm. Remember those? Yes. And he, so he had this, like, his feet were on the bumper. He's sitting on the radiator. The hood's open above him, and he's facing away from the car, and he bursts into flames. Oh. So it, it wasn't a car crash. It was a man who looked like he just spontaneously combusted. I don't know why. I didn't know why, but he was screaming as he burned to death. Oh, my God. And, I mean, it was so unlike anything else I'd ever dreamed. As soon as I woke up from it, I knew it was different. Okay. Um, I think anyone in that circumstance would feel the same. It, <laughs> Let me ask you something. When you saw him, were you able to see his face? Like, that, Did you realize it was somebody you didn't recognize or you weren't able to see his face? I saw that he was a young white man, mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't a face I recognized. Okay. Uh, and I thought the... Um, you know how a lot of movies orient you to time right at the very beginning by uh, costumes or music in the background or sometimes automobiles? Right. Uh, this, that's what it felt like. He was telling me that he died in the, in the late 50s or early 60s okay. in a fire involving a car. So I woke up from it and I thought, I just said a prayer quickly. Uh, and um, I said, hello, my name is Nathan. You just showed me this in a dream, I think. Um, if I can help you, I will. And I, I wrote, wrote down the dream. I found something to write on and wrote it down. I prayed for him for a little while. And then I said, um, whoever you are, I'll, I'll figure this out and I'll be back in touch. Okay. And uh, so I woke up that morning and because I was on a retreat, um, it was sort of leisurely. It was up in the mountains and, you know, people wake up in the mountains and they're going to get a cup of coffee or whatever. So I, I found a friend of mine who I knew had spiritual gifts that were uncommon Mm -hmm. and who would not uh, judge me if I told her this story. And I just said to her, um, you know, this is what happened. Do you think we could find a moment later on to go into prayer and see if we are led to help this guy somehow okay. figure this out? Okay. So okay. that's what we did. And uh, she, when we went into prayer and we got quiet, and um, we always protect ourselves in prayer. Uh, I use St. Michael the Archangel and Holy Mary and stuff because... Just, mm -hmm. just the same as I would not pick up hitchhikers today on my way home. Yes. Um, I, and, and this plane, in this, uh, the physical world, yes. I, I have the same um, concern with the next life and, and the spirit world. Okay. I, I, my, my outlook toward other people is mostly positive, but not everybody's well-behaved at this uh, time yes, of the moment. that's true. That's true. And so uh, we've protected ourselves in prayer, at what brought St. Michael and Holy Mary and a number of the other uh, Catholic the saints, the kind of the way I was taught to pray. And um, anyway, we we asked for the guy, and my friend was able to bring him through in speech. 
So she was able to, uh, it's, uh, often it's called channeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And try to avoid the word because in the Catholic Christian world, sometimes one gets really radioactive, loaded up with judgment and so on. And nevertheless, it was, it was the guy speaking through her. She said, he wants to talk to you. Would that be okay? And I said, well, we've said our prayers and I'm not going looking for him. He's the one that found me and it sounds like he needs help. So sure, go, go ahead. So, um, he, the first words out of her mouth were, who the hell does he think he is taking me just when my life was getting good? Oh, so he was upset. Uh, yeah, he was. Who the hell does he think he is taking me just when my life was getting good? So I introduced myself and said, well, hi, my name is Nathan, and you're talking through my friend, and uh, uh, let's see how we can help. What's going on? And, and uh, he said, well, uh, he, he was mad, and I said, who are you mad at? And he said, well, God. And I said, well, why are you mad at God? Well, because he took me just when my life was getting good. I said, okay. Well, he explained that he was 20 years old when he died. He'd gotten his high school girlfriend pregnant uh, their senior year when they were 18, Mm-hmm. They married, and their child was like a year and a half old or so. Uh, he had gone into business with a buddy in a rented house that had a detached garage, okay. and they were using the garage as a little uh, auto repair mm-hmm. And uh, he explained that on Sundays, their routine was that his wife would cook for, for them, uh, and while they were having their meal, his friend, they had too much to drink, and the friend made some sort of comment that the that Ray, his name is Ray, felt was sexy and directed at his wife. Oh. So he was some, he was offended that his wife's honor had been, you know, besmirched or something. Right. And they decided they they got they they got angry and they decided to take it outside. So they went across the yard over to the shop, and he was sitting on the radiator as they were fighting and uh, arguing, and somehow he caught fire. He oh, doesn't man. know how and. It, and he was wearing greasy clothes, and he was sitting on a radiator. So maybe he came into contact with some wire that was live, or I so just literally, don't know what you see. saw is is how it happened. <clears throat> because when you said, I was wondering if he was in an accident, but he basically was showing no. literally how he died. Yeah, you'd think so when you see a car and somebody on on fire. But uh-huh. no, he uh, and he he didn't really know how it happened either, because okay. once it started happening, it all happened at once. You know he. He was on fire, and he was screaming, and that's it. Um, so, uh, it, it felt a little like a counseling appointment. I've, I'm, I've been in, in a, most of my career has been as a pastor at, on university campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're a pastor anywhere, you get a certain amount of counseling appointments, right. and it's very common for people you don't know very well to make an appointment to come in and talk about something. Okay. So one of the things I do early on in an appointment is say, well, Marlene, what can I do to help you? Uh, you know, what is it you want to accomplish? What's the trouble or what, what, how can I help? So that's what I said to him. Well, um, he told me his name, Ray. I said, well, Ray, how can I help you? And he said, um, uh, I wife, she's dying. Um, and I want to greet her when she passes, but I can't the way I am. Okay. So he explained that he had died in 1960. It took him a little while to figure it out. Uh, I've learned that some people pay attention to time and others don't. Okay. And some are kind of clear on it and others are sort of foggy. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, he figured out he died in 1960 and his wife, uh, this would have been happening around the year 2000 or maybe a year or two before that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, it had been maybe 35 to 40 years previous. And he said, uh, my wife, she, she married again. She married up. She married her a lawyer and moved to South Carolina. They raised my son and they had no more children. I have no beef with that man. He did a nice job raising my son, but my wife's dying of cancer and I want to greet her when she passes and I can't the way I am. So in other words, he was, he was aware he was dead and he had kept yes, tabs on what was happening with his family. In his, yeah, in his, uh, in his wife's uh, life. Right, and with his wife and his son dying. and everything. Yeah, exactly. And so I said, well, it, um, it, it's, do you know what year it is? He said, uh, "Well, you know, he, he knew that he, is, he had watched his wife age, okay. so he knew that it, that many years had gone by." And I said, "Well, look, it looks like you you, you don't have an awful lot to show for all these years." I was going to ask you, uh, what was what was he then holding him back? His anger was that it? What was keeping him like? That uh, that was part of it. Anger. He was angry at God because he had been taught as a child that the reason why people die at all is because God takes them. Oh. Have you ever heard anybody use that phrase? Well, al- almost in a sense, especially when you're young, like taken before their time, mm-hmm. that kind of thinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the idea that he had in his head, that, that the reason he was dead was that God took him. And who the hell does he think he is taking yeah. me just when my life is ended? So, he want- so essentially, God had set him on fire from his yeah. point of view. And so why in the world would he want to be with God that set him on fire? Uh, but he did want to be with his wife, mm-hmm. and so I just said, "Okay, well, we'll we'll get let's get started on that." And I told him, "Now look, you're you. This has been all these many years, and cancer has its own schedule. I'm, I'm going to have to kind of hustle you through this process, and you might not like it. And remember, you you came to me. <laughs> right. You don't have to stay with me if you don't want. But I think it's on me to to kind of hurry you through." And I might have to push harder than I normally would, because uh, it did feel like a counseling appointment. It's just that he happened to be to have died. Okay. But I, I've, I've always taught as a child that all of us stay alive after we die. Okay. Not just the not just the good boys and girls, or the Catholic ones, or the Christian ones, but that that's just the way God made every human person that we all live after we die. Right. Just the rules. Yeah. <laughs> and right. Right. So I and- said. So I just said, um, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to help you, and and let's get this stuff figured out. So we just kind of peeled it back one layer at a time. The anger at God, mm-hmm. um, uh, I remember some of the other parts of it. Um, it's all in the book. It's it's the uh, prologue chapter of the book. Um, but anyway, we, we it took us a series of meetings over about a three week period. Right. That's what we I was going to ask you. How long did it take for you to have that conversation with him? To what? Well, my friend and I were figuring this out. All we did is kind of try to use common sense. Mm-hmm. She was also an active practicing Catholic, and uh, uh, we just we just did what we thought was sensible, right. and asked asked questions and uh, helped him kind of get over some stuff. And um, he was really really angry. I said, "Well, it looks like your anger's in the way. You know, could we could we uh, somehow move through some of that? What if you're wrong about God? What if?" What if people don't die? What if you didn't die because God caused your death? What if you? What if it was just an accident and it's nobody's fault? You know, that's another possibility. Okay. And um, I, when I deal with grieving people, I, you know, sometimes people want to lash out and blame somebody, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's someone who's blameworthy, but not always. Sometimes right. it's just too just unfortunate, you know. Right. 
So anyway, we, we worked on that, and then he, I thought, it seems to me if you've not, he, he had chosen, he said, not to be with anybody since he died. He hadn't been with another soul since he died. Oh, so let me ask uh, you just out of curiosity. Did you ever, in these conversations, did it come out that he was an angry guy to begin with, or was it just that one incident that he was angry about? You know how um, there's these personalities that they're real quick to anger and that that's just. Yes, I have, I have found that. And then sometimes I've found that, um, that sometimes people are sort of stuck in this life before they die. Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what, do you know at least one person who's kind of socially isolated themselves? Oh yeah. Yes. Who makes it hard to be around them. And, uh, yeah. um, but yet, so sometimes people keep doing that after they die, not because they're being punished. It's just what they're used to and they want more of it. Yes. Or at least they choose more of it. Yes. Sometimes they get they they get so used to that that they kind of get out of uh, practice of, of normal human interaction, mm-hmm. and they just choose to be alone. Right. So I've dealt with some like that. They don't come to me until they've been vetted. I learned that that I'm not getting stuck souls at random. I'm getting people that are. I feel like the discharge nurse at the at the end of a healthcare continuum. <laughs> but you know? let me ask you: When did he? Was it just that he lived in that area where you were at the retreat, or why? No, why Georgia, then there? Just I don't know. For for a while, it seemed like the first few years I was doing this. I grew up uh, in the extreme southeast corner of Texas. Okay. Uh, do you know where Port Arthur is? No, not specifically. Port Arthur but... is right on the Gulf of Mexico on the Louisiana border. It's, okay. Being Texas is as close as you can get to Florida. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Louisiana I've been like border. to Gulfport and all along that coast up there. Like, you know, like if you're going westbound on I-10. So. Yeah. Well, okay. I-10 goes right through my hometown and, uh, okay. and, and through the region. Anyway, but uh, so uh, it's funny because when these started happening for the first few years, it felt like everybody was from Georgia, the Carolinas, Florida. I felt. Oh, really? A territory. Uh, later that shifted, but uh, for a while, for whatever reason, it just, I kept getting these people from the Southeastern states. Hmm. Um, but anyway, back to, to, uh, finishing the race story. Okay. He, uh, we felt, we felt like it would be, his main goal was to greet his wife, but he hadn't been with anybody. It just seemed sensible that maybe we should get him back in circulation with anybody. Okay. Get him out of isolation and get him into companionship, mm-hmm. uh, before trying to make this leap to go visit his wife when she passed. So I just asked him, he had told me about his mother and that I asked, who taught you about God? Because you might've been misinformed and about, you know, about God. And he said, well, his mother and brother Ray, I don't know, brother James, brother James. I said, who's brother James? Well, he was our pastor and he's the one that taught that God takes people. And, and he said, well, he was my pastor. And I said, well, I'm a pastor too. I'm a Catholic priest. And he went, Oh shit. Well, oh, he didn't even he know this. Oh, my. Uh, no, he didn't know he was talking to a Catholic <laughs> priest, and I think he had been taught that we were like of the devil or something. Oh, <laughs> so, boy. <laughs> but he, had been, he had been taught that Catholic priests were, you know, not good. So, anyhow. Okay. I said, well, yeah, I am, and, and, uh, and I, I, I've known God all my life, and I just think that, you know, your pastor had it all wrong. He just made a mistake. I, I think God loves people, and God's not burning anybody alive. Um, okay. So, anyway, I, 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 he had... He had said that his mother taught him to pray and that she made a kneel next to his bed and she beat him while he said his prayers. Beat him? Beat him. Oh, wow. Well, why'd she do that? And he said, I don't know. That's just what she did. And I, 
And, and I asked him, I said, you were a father. Your, your child was still a baby when you died, but would you have beat him while he said his friend? He said, of course not. I said, well, I'm sorry your mother did that, but do you see how that might have given you some weird ideas about God? Yes, wow. So maybe, you're, maybe you've got, it's been acting on some incorrect information. Would you at least consider that? Well, he didn't want to, because people don't like to have their mind changed. Yes. When's the last time you made it, you changed your mind about something important? It takes a lot, especially when it's rooted in an authority figure like your mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your mother and your pastor. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I just, remember, you don't have to do anything I say. You're the one that came to me. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I see. Right. And by the way, wouldn't uh, it seems to me it would be good if we got you into circulation and, and with somebody. And I thought it was mother, but I thought, no, she used to beat him, not the mom. What about your dad? Well, he said he died in the war. And I said, Vietnam? No, he said, Korea. Okay. He had died in the 1960s, right. got my wars, you know, out of order. And, uh, and, he, and I said, what about your dad? I uh, said, well, he died when I was 10. I didn't really know him. I was kind of afraid of him. And I said, well, if he, you know, if, if we asked him to come for you, do you think you'd be afraid of him still? He said, well, I don't know. And I said, did you guys ever have a really good time together? Can you remember? That's a, a, just a counseling technique when people go dark. Mm-hmm. You try to get them to go light. You know, well, okay, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about something happy. Tell me about the best thing that ever happened to you, something like that. So we, we, I asked about his dad and him having a good time. He said, yeah, once, once we went and looked at cars together. And I said, well, what if we, if, if we were to ask your dad to come, would you be scared? He said, I don't think so. I said, well, could you create your space so that we invite him to not come too close, close enough for you to get a look at him and decide whether you wanted him to come closer? He said, well, I think I could do that. So I said, okay, well, what, are you ready? Can, is it okay for me to ask him to come? And so he said, yeah. So we said, okay, I just said a prayer, and I didn't make a great big deal out of it. You know, um, and he didn't like priests to start with. <laughs> God, could you, uh, God, could you please send Ray's dad uh, if he's available, because Ray would like to see his dad. And I just said, Ray, now be still and look around. And he said, oh, my God, look over there. And I said, well, I can't see what you see, and you're going to have to describe it. He said, well, it's my dad. And I said, well, does he look scary? No. I said, do you, do you think you're being tricked? No. I said, well, okay. Um, do you think you'd be okay for him to, like, take you on a visit, get you go for a walk or something, get you moving around a bit? Because we're going to need to get you out of this little place you're in if you're going to greet your wife. So okay. he said, that made sense to him. And so he said, okay. And I said, okay, well, we're going to go now, but we'll check in on you in a few days, and uh, we'll, we'll get an update. How's that? So he agreed to that. So a few days later, we went back into prayer, always protecting ourselves, always, mm-hmm. um, you know, just not diving into the spirit world. But um, I try to make that real clear to people. Um, right. I use Michael the Archangel and Mary and Benedict and a bunch of the saints. Anyhow, we went back in, and we found out, uh, said, how'd it go? And he said, well... We had a good time. I said, what'd you guys do? And he said, well, we went to look at cars. I said, well, how'd you do that? Your dad died in 1950-something, early in the 50s, and, and you died in 1960. He said, no, we went and looked at the new ones. Wow. Yeah. They had that so in that just broke, Yeah, that broke the ice. It, doesn't that sound like a guy thing to you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's like what you would think that maybe they would have done if they would have both lived. If they had that Yeah, in and guys... Um, might not want to have a heart-to-heart talk, but they might go uh, get reacquainted over looking at cars. Mm-hmm. And we knew that Ray loved cars. He, he, he created an auto repair business. 
So that's what they did. Yeah, so we, I said, okay, well, good for you. Now you know how to move around. You know how you, you know how to. Uh, now we just need to get you ready uh, to greet your wife, and we needed to, to help them over that anger uh, that, that it was God's fault and so on. And and I said, well, I, I just think, uh, and I, I said, Ray, I think I know what the problem is, and I don't think you're going to like it. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, every time you talk about your wife, you sound like a caveman. She she died like 40 years ago, and you act like you still belong, you own her, and you sound like you might just grab her by the hair and drag her into your cave. And I and so he was mad at me because I was, you know, being pretty blunt. Mm-hmm. But I uh, I thought I thought it was important. I needed to move this thing along. And I said, I think that this lady is, is she's in her 60s. You were only married to her for a year or two. Uh, she's going to have met lots of other people she loves that that. She probably had parents and siblings, and you're not the only person that loved her. And you're probably not going to be the only person that's eager to see her when she passes. I think you're going to be in a group. Would you be okay with that? And he, he kind of hadn't thought of that, and he grumbled. Yeah. And said, I, said, I said, I'm not sure how it works, but I just don't think you ought to assume that you have the rights to be at the head of the line and that you're the, you're, you're the most important person she's going to lay eyes on. You're certainly important because she only married twice, and you're the only dead husband. She only had one child, and that was with you. You certainly belong near the front of the line, but just don't make the whole thing about you. How about that? So um, he grumbled about that, but he thought about it. Well, then the last time we met with him, we met us and said, okay, Ray, uh, uh, what's new with you? And he said, big news, my wife passed. Okay. Said, oh, tell us about that. And he said, well, it was kind of the way you said. There were some other people, but you'd have been proud of me. I was a perfect gentleman. Good. So I said, well, Ray, I knew you had it in you all along. Uh, it, 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 it looks like uh, our job here is done, don't you think? You wanted to greet your wife, and now you've done it. I think our work here is finished, don't you? And he said, yes, sir, I think so. So I said, well, before you go, uh, now that you know how to greet people when they die and move into the afterlife, I wonder if you wouldn't mind keeping an eye on me, and when it's my turn to pass, would you mind being there to greet me? And he said, why, sir, I'd be most honored. Just look for the perfect gentleman. So he had come down as far as by the time you finished with him, his anger had kind of, it sounds like he, it had, in other words, he, that anger, he was beyond it. That, that thing, like you said, like, why me? He was willing to change his way of thinking that maybe I was given incorrect information. Maybe, maybe God isn't the reason. Maybe God didn't set me on fire. Uh, uh, I don't know. He didn't go into all of it. Right. That thing about like, why me? Why me? That kind of like, you know, when it's all about me, like, and it sounds like once he got beyond that, then it sounds like that you were able to allow him, show him how to progress. And let me ask you, to him, like you said, he was by himself. Where was he existing? Like in a great place? Did he ever describe it? Was it where he used to live at before? Yeah, um, the, he, it, it was pretty gray yeah, and okay. nondescript. He hadn't done anything to decorate it. It wasn't indoors. It wasn't outdoors. It was, uh, And he was with uh, a, a, a guide of what, what Catholics would call a guardian angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're limited by what we will permit. And so he wasn't willing to go anywhere. So his guardian decided to kind of hang out with him. Okay. Um, um, uh, where he was, um, 
you know, Catholic people would call it purgatory. The word that right. didn't come up, and he wasn't Catholic to begin with, so he wouldn't have used that language. Right. Um, so, um, but he was at least, wherever he was, he was able to keep an eye on his wife as she moved through her life. So, um, he, but I don't know how to answer your question any better than that, really. Right. No, no. I was just curious, like, you know, in that in-between place, because that's the only way I can think of it, as in, is it, you know, was he living or, you know, even though he was by himself, was he surrounded by the familiarity of a place where he used to live at? Or was it just the He wasn't because he wouldn't permit it. He really? chose to be isolated. And wow. uh, I, a lot of the souls that I help make a similar choice, they go about it in different ways, but, um, but some of them really want to be left alone. So once you had that experience, and and let me, that is, that's incredible what you described when you're having that dream and your attention is brought about by that painting, which is like, you couldn't help but look at it. And it was like, what a hook, (laughs) because that's what it it sounds like. Yeah. And then, did did you think this was like an isolated incident or what happened? No, after that, they began those dreams began coming about once a week. Wow. And so I, uh, I got, I invested in a good little notebook to have in the nightstand and I wrote them down and the, the same prayer partner and I uh, would meet and we, we kind of learned a method where it didn't take us several sessions. We could, we could uh, move through them in about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. Ray was really the only one that we had to spend more than one session with. Really? Uh, and, yeah, and then I learned that the people that were brought to me were, were vetted. They were really ready to move whether they you know, knew you, it or not. You know, you beat me to my next question because that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Is like, what was, is there a common denominator in these people that, that come to you? Is it them because they're ready at that point? Yeah, they are. Whether they realize they're ready or not. Uh, one guy called himself ready enough. <laughs> and... You know how that is. With a lot of things, there's sort of the continuum. You know, you're you're mildly excited, or you're over the top excited, or whatever. Mm -hmm. With a great many things that we in in our lives, there's some sort of continuum about them. And uh, I get, I only get these people. They don't need to be persuaded against their will. Um, It really does feel like um, the person in in a hospital that's in charge of uh, getting you home. You know. Teaching you what you need to do in order to leave here and thrive. What have you found is one of the most common reasons why people get stuck? Is it anger? Is it fear of the being judged? Um, not understanding the death state? Or maybe not even believing are, in the afterlife? How's that? Well, the funny thing is, uh, whether they believed in it or not, they, uh, they have to acknowledge that they're in it. Okay, right, I mean, exactly. Uh, at least, at least the ones I'm dealing with, there probably are ghosts that are perplexed about whether they are dead or alive. Mm-hmm. But I'm not dealing with the whole panoply of, of the universe and the afterlife. I have this one little niche. Right. Uh, and I, I kind of stay in my lane. You know? <laughs> well, no, and, 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 you know, and I always wonder about that. You know, you know what happens to this person who thinks uh, when you die... That's it. It's spiritually, you know, in other words, they think that when your body dies, that's the end for you. And then they die and they find out that that's not exactly what happens to you after you die. In other words, that you have a soul, you have a spirit. 
what happened? You yeah. know, are they like, like, oh, well, what do I do now? Well, they just have, they just have to adjust, you know? Oh my God. Well, it, it did turn out that I, I do have, I am still alive just in a different way. That mm-hmm. one of the, they do have something that sounds like a body. Like I could tell Ray to look around, even though he didn't have eyeballs. Mm-hmm. He had some center of vision and, the word, the verb look meant something to him, right. very much like it did when he lived here. Um, people have, they can, what, I've learned that they can, uh, they, age is um, something that they can, that can be flexible. Okay. They can go back to an earlier part of their life and look like they did when they were growing up, or they can look older if they want to. Um, they, it, it, when they, uh, the people who come for them um, can manifest in a way that, makes them um, most happy to see them. Uh, a lot of people that die in old age mm-hmm. come back in their 30s or 40s or 50s. Okay. Um, anyway, I've learned a lot of things along the way. There's, cause there's just, and even you mentioned 250. By now, it's probably more like 350 because I wrote that some time ago. Okay. Uh, Do they ever describe where they've had relatives or loved ones come for them and they've refused to go or is it that they just don't see them no i've uh, i've never had anybody decide to stay back okay uh, everybody has everybody has passed now sometimes they've passed in a group okay and sort of a spokesperson emerged and not every last person had to do this dialogue with me and my prayer partner okay. um they sometimes they're sort of grouped and Somebody steps up and leads, and then um, they they pass together. If they want to, nobody's forced to do anything they don't want to do. And um, but I, what, what you, they, oftentimes there's some there's some sort of conveyance, like a boat shows up or a train or something that involves motion, and the uh, the decision about whether to get aboard or not, or sometimes it's an escalator or a moving sidewalk. Um, Interesting. Uh, there's lots of different movement uh, metaphors that people can then just decide whether they want to uh, go or not. And, did... the, and if they decide to stay back, they're not shamed, like they're getting left behind and there'll be no other chance. Right. You know, it's if just you go to an airport, there's always going to be an next plane. Father Nathan, yeah. what, what do they want from you? Is it acknowledgement? Is it a chance to say what happened to them? Uh, what is it that they want from you that 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 that's basically got them stuck? That once they talk to you, is it reassurance? Well, it, it varies. It varies according to what their um, what the problem was. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just need to say, well, you know, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Okay. And what I don't want, uh, what, uh, but it seems clear to me that you don't want more of what you've had. Okay. You know, you're ready for something different, and I'm the guy to help you figure out what that's going to be. And my real job is to help you move. And um, I'm, I've never died, as far as I know, <laughs> and uh, I'm, uh, I'm no expert in that, but I do seem to have one little expertise in helping people cross, mm-hmm. and I can help you identify who you might want to have come for you. Okay. And so I, I often give them three choices. Can you think of anybody who loved you who died before you did? In other words, presume that you have somebody on the other side already okay. who'd be happy to come and help you and who'd you be happy to see. Okay. 
And so most of the times that's uh, relatives, right. lots of grandmothers, yeah. uh, older, not even siblings a lot of the time. It's more the next generation, aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. um, a, a, and way more women than men. Really? I think, don't you, you're a woman and I'm a man, but don't you think women are kinder than men a lot of the time? Yeah, they're more, yeah, we're touchy-feely. What can I say? <laughs> we're more yeah, touchy-feely. So How's that? We show it more. Yeah, you're right. A lot of people have been comforted or consoled by yes. a, a female relative. Yes. Um, a lot of them are teachers. These are, those, the teachers show up in unusual numbers. Really? Your second grade teacher shows up. Wow. Do you remember as a child having some adult uh, make you feel great about yourself? Yeah. Well, I was going to say my second grade teacher was a nun. So <laughs> I was going to... Sister Regina well, shows um, up. It's like, what? <laughs> well... I've had a few nuns, and, and I'm from a family. Both of my aunts were nuns, really? so that okay. wouldn't scare me. Uh, I grew up with them. Um, but it's somebody who's kind and helpful. Uh, sometimes it's play, it's people that you knew on the playground. Interesting. Maybe not even that well, but uh, somebody that was in elementary school with you. Um, sometimes, um, sometimes it's celebrities, because even though we didn't meet these people, we admired them. Okay. And, you know, all the fuss right now about uh, Kobe Bryant, lots of people who never met Kobe Bryant are grieving his loss. Yes. Because somehow he's iconic. He touched their heart. He was, I read in the paper this morning, and Tucson, some local columnist had his uh, Kobe Bryant's poster on his bedroom wall as a child. Yes. And just felt like he'd lost a friend, even though they never met. So sometimes it'll be a celebrity because that's what they ask for. Uh, and then other times it will just be the luck of the draw. It'll just be some random person that shows up and says, I'll help. Right. I imagine the most appropriate really- person then for that, for them as far as, um, yeah, what I guess whoever comforts them or makes them feel somebody that, like you said, that they trust. And recently I've had... Um, I've had more and more stories of people being in a in something like um, a clinic, something like a spa or um, a place that provided for them exactly what they needed with kind people to help them. Okay. Uh, and then when they're done with what what this place can do for you, they're told, we're so glad to see the way that you've improved or gotten your strength or whatever, and it's you're really now beyond what anything that we can do for you when we're, we're hopeful that you'll choose to go on to the next place. And some of them have said, people have been so consistently kind to me that why would I mistrust the next thing? Okay. Isn't that nice? When yeah. you, it, one of the things I've learned is the ones that I've dealt with are, have not been judged at all by anyone. Right. And they and just it, find it, it delightful. It makes me wonder, like that story that you said about Ray, what he was told as a child about, you know, what God was like. In other words, that almost like what had happened to him was a form of punishment. It makes you think there's other yeah. people that sometimes think the same thing, uh, especially when yeah. they haven't had that much life experience. How old was he, 20? Um, he was 20. Right, so. Yeah, that's a good point. I've dealt with... Um, Children down to as little as five, okay. and in, and the young younger they are, the less life experience they have. Mm-hmm. Although not that many of them, I, I think they tend to pass 
more easily than uh, than people do as they get a little older and their lives get more complicated. Right. That they have different things. I hate to say it, that hang you up. Versus yes, yeah. when you're a child and you're more accepting. And how about, um, are there people that sometimes pass away either because they were heavily, heavily medicated or something that was going on with them where they're not really sure that they're dead? They just... Um, I've had people that were drunk okay. uh, that were died in, in accidental deaths while they were uh, it, at least mildly drunk, wow. enough to change their um, con- their consciousness, and um, and who then have to move through that a little bit. Okay. Um, they don't stay drunk, but okay. but they have they might have hazier recall of what happened because they weren't thinking clearly at the time that they passed. Okay. I've seen that. How about guilt? Guilt, let's say, if they did something, uh, for lack of a better word, stupid, uh, either towards themselves yeah, or towards somebody else. Yeah, sometimes they've... Um, in my book, one of the guys uh, accidentally drove... He was on a double date, and he was the driver in the early 50s in, the, in upper New York State. Mm-hmm. And he accidentally took a turn on a, a dark road in a forest... And he heard the rumble of wood under the wheels and thought he was on a bridge, but it turned out to be a pier. Oh. And he, he drove the car off the end of the pier, and he and the three companions drowned. Oh. And um, he stayed back because he thought it, he needed to be responsible and not leave the scene of the accident. That, I could see definitely how that... Not only for yourself, but three people that were in the vehicle with you. Absolutely. Yeah, and then he didn't feel guilty about that so much as he felt guilty about um, that he had borrowed his grandmother's car. And he was he had just graduated high school, and he felt like he should stay there and till the police come or the insurance or something. He just felt like he was responsible for something bad that had happened. He shouldn't leave the scene. That's Almost the it idea sounds like he, he was like stuck in that moment. You know, that, that, yes. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever dealt with, uh, maybe some of your listeners have with, um, PTSD or yes. a, a yes. trauma looping? Yes. When people, when people have a trauma, uh, of different, different kinds, sometimes they have a very persistent kind of little movie in their head. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people with PTSD don't like to go to sleep because they, they can control their cognition better during the day than they can at night. Yeah. And then they have night terrors because the thing that's inside them keeps right. playing in the night. Yeah, that memory is uh, very fresh always, even though it's years later. They uh... Yes, and so some, some of these folks, they, they have a trauma memory at the end of their life, okay. and they're replaying it somehow. And you know what? It's Sometimes, it's, it, and I'm glad you point that out, because we kind of think that once you're dead, you're beyond that kind of like human-like, experience what you described as PTSD and what you're saying yeah. is that even if you're dead you could still be ca- caught in that PTSD last moment of your life as yeah there's not what I've learned is there's nothing automatic about dying that makes everything better in a twinkling in an instant uh-huh. I do believe if you cooperate uh, that things will get better but sometimes it's sort of like physical therapy you know okay. uh, the, the, the physical therapist has to make you do some reps Right. Uh, and it's going to hurt a little bit, but only on your way to getting better. Yes. 
And exactly. so sometimes people have to have to choose to um, move through some difficult material and get over it. So, and sometimes they need to forgive someone. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Um, change their mind, um, uh, or at least lower their level of anger. Mm-hmm. It might not be getting rid of it entirely, but lowering it sufficiently, almost like turning the knob down, the volume. Right. Okay, I'm, like one guy died in Savannah, mm-hmm. in a, uh, he was in a car, and they were, repair, they were widening the interstate, and he, he saw that it looked dangerous to him, and just about the time that registered, some building material along the freeway started collapsing in a domino-style way, moving toward him, and he thought he was going to get smushed. And he got out of the car to run, and he did get smushed. And he was stuck mostly because he was just so angry that whoever was responsible, the contractor or whoever, who in the world put the the public at risk this way. And he was just so angry about that that he couldn't see straight. That, That was the only thought that he could form. And and right. and he had, he happened he's in the book also uh, he happened to be he was 27 years old and he happened to be a person who took a lot of care about his physical appearance right so he uh, didn't like getting smushed is what you're saying his when he saw what his face looked like as a, uh, after his accident he was so appalled uh, about the bloody mess that he had become that he was just so grossed out and angry that he just um, froze. He, he just couldn't get over the fact that he went from being a handsome guy who took good care of his appearance yeah. to being this bloody pulp. That's and just and that's just his that, emotional makeup. Maybe somebody that that's just the way what he cared about profoundly. It sounds yeah. like, but yeah. And I I I hope that any of your listeners who are really fixed on one idea about themselves will at least give somebody around them a chance to talk them out of it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we can well, form ideas about ourselves and get just start, we can paint ourselves into the corner with one idea, and and sometimes that's why these folks are stuck in in between as they pass. Let me ask you, and obviously you you made it clear they're there by their choice, by their own choice. Now, and and like you said, when they're ready to move on, and like you said that that scenario where if there's a group, and the ones that are ready to go can go, and if they're not, they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think happens when we pray outside of the scenario that you said where you're, you have uh, somebody that is channeling them and you're actually able to converse with them? When we pray for a soul that's in that uh-huh. situation uh, without knowing specifics, we might be just praying for anybody. We don't know a name or circumstance or anything. Are we praying right. that I can t- something like a light bulb goes off or what do you think happens when we pray for somebody like yeah, that? Yeah, you know, it's that's a fascinating question and um I I I go by my childhood training, which mm-hmm. I think was really very good, that God never lets the prayer go to waste. Right. And that God will always know the best way to deliver uh mercy and goodness to somebody if I intend that. And so I grew up um I sometimes I, I remember I, somewhere in first grade I think I was taught that if yours was the prayer that moves somebody from purgatory into heaven, they'd be your friend forever. Right. In other and words, so it doesn't, just, you don't have to say the prayer was specifically for this person, their name. You don't have to nope. have a, a name or a Precisely. scenario or, a, you know, or that it could just be a free floater. In other words, 
It doesn't for it to yeah, work. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure your audience is all over the map in terms yeah. of uh, a spiritual and religious belief and mm-hmm. so on. But uh, but but our little Catholic piece of the the universe mm-hmm. has this custom. In fact, we have the whole month of November devoted to it. That's why All Saints Day is November the first, mm-hmm. and All Souls Day is the second. We pray for the whole month of November for anybody who's died who um, who would benefit by our prayers. Right. Um, I used this, uh, when I was away at school, my parents uh, didn't go to college, but they were determined that I and my brothers and sisters would. Okay. And my dad got me a checking account when I was 14, so I'd know how to write a check and save money, be responsible with with money. And when I got to college, he didn't like to talk on the phone. I'd call home, and he might answer the phone in the bedroom, and my mom would get on the one in the kitchen, and he hardly would talk. She'd do all the talking. And then he'd get tired of it, and he'd say, son, I'm going to go now. Is there anything you need? Okay. Well, that always meant money. And <laughs> I'd say, no, Dad, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, or maybe I would say, yeah, I'm a little short. I could use a little bit. And then he would just make a deposit in my checking account. Yeah. And he, ne- he never asked me what I was going to spend the money on because he trusted me to be responsible because he had raised me that way. Right. And so after he died, I took up the practice of praying for him. Actually, I was praying for him a lot because his death was long and slow, and he was in dementia and coma and so on. You, you, when, when you have somebody in a coma, you don't know what how, <laughs> how right. you can help them, but it doesn't mean you don't want to anyway. I prayed for him anyway. Sure. And after he died, I kept praying for him, and I just thought of it the same way. I don't know, Dad, I don't know what you need, but I want to give you the means to do whatever you want to do, and if my prayer can strengthen you, and I trust that it can some mysterious way, I'm going to pray for you. So I, I imagine putting money in his account, giving him the freedom to do something he might not have been able to do otherwise. Father Nathan, let me ask you something. Looking back now, did you ever have any type of experiences earlier in your life, even as a child, that you just didn't recognize at that time that maybe there were people who were stuck, that were deceased, that were trying to I reach did, out? I and, did, and... I mention it. I, I spend the first three chapters of the book kind of describing a little of my background because my story is so strange. <laughs> and I felt like the reader deserves a little bit of an orientation to who I am and how, how I was formed. Yeah, it was, uh, it was John F. Kennedy. Really? I was born in 1956. I was seven years old mm-hmm. uh, in November of 63. I was a Catholic school kid in the second grade. And um, the president's picture was on the wall next So there was like this trinity <laughs> of okay. Jesus, the Pope, and the President. Mm-hmm. And the day that he was uh, was shot was a Friday at noon. Uh, we had just come in from lunch and recess, and this other second grade teacher came running and screaming, the President's been shot. They had us kneel next to our our uh, desks and pray, pray, pray for the President. And, um, and then, of course, you know, he was dead. Uh, we didn't know that until we got home, but... Um, uh, and then all that weekend, were you old enough to remember that? I was three years old, so I was, I was, <laughs> okay. I was born in 1960. Well, I was, I, no, I don't remember. It was like. Well, I was seven and I was a precocious kid. I was paying attention to as much of the adult world as I could understand. Um, but anyway, it was such a long weekend. There was nothing on TV on every channel except people crying mm-hmm. and uh, and then there was the funeral with the horse with nobody on it and the eternal flame. And, and it was just awful. And 
And then when it was time to go back to school, I think it was Monday night, we were going to go back to school on Tuesday. And I went, instead of praying my prayers for uh, for the souls in purgatory, I just decided to pray for the president. And so I, I, I made the sign of the cross, and I said, I'd like to pray for President Kennedy. I knew his kids were about my age, and I thought he must be very sad to be dead and not with his kids and stuff. And when I prayed for him, I could see him, and he could see me. Wow. That's the first time that ever happened. We, he didn't talk, but I knew he was sitting on the ground in a kind of a gray place that wasn't indoors or outdoors, and that I could feel his heart, and he, was, um, um, he wasn't angry that he'd been murdered. He, was, he felt he had disappointed people. Okay. He felt sad that he had um, disappointed everyone. That was, wow. and I I knew he didn't want visitors, and mm-hmm. um, so I didn't stay. I just nodded at him, and he nodded at me. But I've I've prayed for him ever since, and now he's part of my posse. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He's my buddy, and so is she, Jacqueline, and. Uh, okay. uh, uh, I pray. I pray with them a lot. Uh, they were both very accomplished people with very complex lives. And uh, anyway, that was the very first time that I had felt like I'd been taught as a Catholic child that all the saints, you know, Mother Mary is your mother, and she'll hear you when you pray. But I think I mostly thought of them as being um, away and up. Mm-hmm. And after that experience with JFK, I thought, well, yes, that might be true, but they can also see you and hear you in a way that now. Um, made it all more real for me. Right. And basically what you're saying is that once these souls cross onward to where they're supposed to be, in other words, not uh-huh. yeah, that they do have that ability, if they choose to, to either yes, and participate they, they do that. or... They, it's really varied as according to whether they want to hang around here or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And then, of course... In the Catholic Church, the ones that have been canonized have kind of been shown, proven that they're interested in what's going on on the earth. You know, in the canonization process, there has right. to be a miracle. Right. Uh, that's that kind of the Church's way of proving that this person not only uh, lived in a, a model life, but they also seem to still care about us and want to help us. Right, which is when there's proof of the miracles and... So on and so yeah, forth. and then a, a lot of times uh, the saint is uh, becomes the patron of something that they loved in life. Yes, you know somebody that loved farming becomes the patron of farmers. Or uh, just the other day, uh, uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas is the patron of students because he was a professor and loved mm-hmm. students, loved learning. Yes. Anyway, it's kind of like that. Right, exactly, and and that's why you also have. I know that you know certain countries have patron saints that yes, that cities. the country adopted. Yeah. As their yes or causes, like you said, because of. Yes. So, but another, but what I think is interesting because you know we always think of a saint as somebody that led a certain life that was very religious and upstanding, and but from what you're saying is you can also have that participation from people who were not necessarily saints. In other words, regular people. Yes, that's why on the on the liturgical calendar, November the first is the feast of all the saints. Mm-hmm. Lots of saints, like Saint Patrick, has uh, what is it, no, March seventeenth. Right. Um, Saint Joseph is March nineteenth. 
a lot of them all have their own day, but then we give November the 1st to all these saints, sort of like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Right. We don't know you, we don't know you by name, but we want to honor you anyway. Yes. And, and then the next day, November the 2nd, is called the Feast of All the Souls, who um, are not canonized saints, uh, maybe not, maybe they were never saints at all, but they're like, I think of that as my mom and dad's feast day. Okay. They were really loving people. And uh, so if, if there's a day on the calendar for my folks, it would be November the 2nd. Right. Exactly. I can talk to them anytime, and I do. But um, right. but anyway, that's kind of the way Catholics think about Well, I'm thinking that also your message is very reassuring for people who have lost lo- loved ones. And how can I say it? When you lose a parent, an elderly parent, how's that? You're saddened, mm-hmm. but you know this is supposed to happen this way. In other words, you know, as a matter of fact, that's what your parents always, I'm going to predecease my child. Mm-hmm. So even though you're sad, but but for people who have lost loved ones prematurely or unexpectedly, or like you said, a child or a sibling, a husband, mm-hmm. reading your stories has got to give them hope as far as that there is something beyond because I think that a lot of people have a hard time not knowing, is this person okay? You know, are yeah. it's, it's uh, especially maybe if they died under traumatic um, scenario, is, is this person okay? Yeah. Their soul, in other words. Uh, yeah. Are they yeah. at peace? And it, that's got to be very comforting to know that there's something. Well, I didn't really learn. write the book. I was just trying to report what I, my background in college was sociology. Mm-hmm. And in the social uh-huh. sciences, you just try to report the data. Right. And uh, and then ask, if you're going to conclude anything based upon the data, you, you're supposed to say that's what you're doing. Right. But uh, And I tried to write the, my book in such a way that I was just storytelling. Here's what I've experienced. And then I would, at the, near the end of the chapter, say, um, I don't know, but here's what I think. And then I would kind of give my opinion about a thing. I tried to distinguish between the experience and mm-hmm. my thoughts about it. Right. Well, and, and I understand, in other words, what you're, 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 like you're saying, this is not data like, uh, you know, numbers. You know, this is, this is the, the quality of your experiences. And then, like you said at the end, you know your opinion. Yeah, I mean, are you are, are you familiar with Raymond Moody's work, Life yes, After Life? Yes, of course. Yes, yes, Well, yes. I, I tried. I, I I remembered that book, and mm-hmm. uh, I tried to write in that style of a calling it a case study makes it sound too clinical. Yes. Uh, but 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 scenarios, yes. uh, people stories, and then I tried to pick ones that I thought illustrated a point particularly well, mm-hmm. and would teach the reader something new yes so yes. i had so many stories to draw from i then okay. had to try to pick a dozen that i thought were really illustrated the breadth of uh, the field of what i think i'd experienced and um, and then it, there ended up being a 13th one just because this one guy hal was so insistent he wouldn't leave me alone oh what do you mean like <laughs> i want you to include the, me you gotta include me in the book i don't know <laughs> well yeah just it just a persistent uh thoughts of how kept coming okay. up and I thought, okay, when that, when that happens, I usually see that as a kind of spiritual indicator that okay. I should pay attention. And, and by the way, I, I went back and got all their permission to use their stories. Okay. 
I never thought I'd talk to any of them again. You know, I would do, it would be one and done. I helped them cross and that's right. that. Um, and, and in my church, there's, it's kind of frowned upon to talk to the dead anyway. So I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't trying to chat them up just, you know, to pass yeah, the time. Uh, um, and, but I did feel like I had an important reason. Uh, the stories are very personal mm-hmm. and I didn't want to presume permission to use them. So I went back and asked permission. And when I did, I didn't just get yes or no. I kind of got follow-up stories that were really sweet. Really? Now, let me ask you, have have any of them come back to you and said, I need you to come and help this other person out? No, I haven't had that happen. But they they did come back when asked. And I've been taught uh, that when I address them, they always hear me. And I believe any of your listeners, I think that's not just any charism of mine. That's a universal. If you form a prayer, however you do that, Mm -hmm. you will be heard by the person that you're trying to speak to. Even if in this lifetime you never get any indication that that's true. Okay. You know, a lot of people are, you know, uh, uh, when they listen to stories of other people's spiritual experiences, say, well, why doesn't that happen to me? Yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not a quarterback. You know, I'd like to be playing in the (laughs) Super Bowl. Why not me? Uh, uh, yeah, that's good. We're all different. That's all. And yeah. and and I. But I do believe if you pass and you and you always wanted to be a quarterback, you'll get your turn. Eternity's yes. really long. Yes. You know, yes. Well, if that if if that idea stays with you, well, I don't believe that God is going to deny you that. I think one of these days you're going to find and out. I imagine also that it's almost like readiness. Uh, you know, sometimes people aren't ready even though they think they might be, you know, as far as the yeah, living they're yeah. left behind, uh, or ready, they, or ready they want it to be a certain way. Like you said, it's gotta, Oh, if it's not in, like you said, if they hear these stories and they think for it to be real, it's gotta be in my face. It's gotta be like indisputably that. And sometimes maybe it's, they're not ready for a more subtle approach as far as maybe from the person that they want that reassurance from or Well, one of the reasons that I decided to tell these stories out loud, I kept it private for a long, long time, Mm -hmm. is um, I want people to feel safe telling their stories out loud, especially um, church people can be too hard on themselves, you know, or church leaders can sometimes be scolding and Mm -hmm. so on. And and, uh, the church's history is full of of spiritual experiences of all kinds, and we shouldn't be ashamed to speak of them. so anyway, that's I. I find that when I uh, give talks and things, um, that very often after a, a session is over, there'll be a few people that want to talk to me about what happened when their mom died, right? Uh, or some experience they've had of their dead husband or their kid or whatever. Lots of people have lots of stories to tell, and they just haven't always had a safe place to tell them. Yeah. Yes, I I know that sometimes people. Especially, I don't want to say it carries a stigma, but they're always afraid that they're going to get that look. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. Or, or that they're going to say, "Oh, you're grieving, and you imagined it." You know, that kind of thing. When they know maybe that it wasn't a, a question of you know how no matter how much they were grieving, that it wasn't an imagined, hoped for uh, experience. It was something different. Yes, and, and then. You know, people often ask questions like of people that are in grief, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of grieving people have a hard time answering that question because it's complicated and they don't, the setting might not allow for a complicated story. Or the um, person might not really want to hear much out of you. They just wanted to inquire as to your well-being. Uh, Father Nathan, one of the last questions that I had for you was, have you had experiences with people who have committed suicide? Um, the, what I've found is they don't often show it to you blatantly in the dream. Mm -hmm. I don't see somebody putting a gun to their own head. Right. Um, but this, the way that the stories are told is a little more subtle than that. Okay. And then I've found that at, once we get into prayer uh, and into conversation, it begins to dawn on me, if this person is beginning to sound like they might have suicided. Okay. And, and sometimes they'll volunteer it. Mm -hmm. That usually means they've told it to at least somebody before. Okay. You know, I was telling you, there's kind of a healthcare continuum. Mm -hmm. And if they've gotten used to telling that story, then it might not be so hard for them to say it to me. Okay. Um, other times they haven't said it before, but they go ahead and say it. Or sometimes I'll ask it as gently as I know how if I think it's important. Okay. And, and just let them know they're not being judged. I just, I'm just trying to help, and I want information. That, that, right. that, that might be useful me to help them. And then um, one, one thing I found is they're no more judged than anybody else. Right. They all have all guardian. We Catholics call them a guardian angel. And the guardian just kind of always goes with the flow. If you if you took your life, well, okay, now you're out of your body, so mm -hmm. now we need to deal with that. Right. So come this way, or uh, you know, there's there are people who take their life hoping that there won't be anything else, mm -hmm. that they'll right. just everything will stop and go black, and it just doesn't. They they discovered that oh, I'm still me, and I'm now in a different space. Um, and, right. They're, they're, in other words, they're, oh, I imagine also, let me ask you, what about people that, and I don't know if you've had that experience, um, you know, people, suicide, whether they're suicidal, uh -huh. that have mental illness, or like you yeah. described, dementia, do, do, once they pass on, do these conditions kind of clear up as far as their understanding, or do are they still, uh, are they still in that state of, whatever it was that was going on with them as far as an illness or a disease? The way that I understand it, that anything that is absolutely physical biochemical, mm -hmm. like uh, alcoholism, right? you don't have cells that crave alcohol anymore. Right. But you do bring with you the habits you created in a, uh, in a life of alcoholism. Okay. If, you, if you're familiar with the 12 steps, Yes. People um, have to learn how to uh, recognize uh, the damage that they did to their relationships and to other people, yes. and uh, those have reality, and they need to be mended in some way. Okay. And so sometimes in the afterlife, people are doing that work. Okay. But, they, but sometimes they're more eager to do it than is uh, prudent. And like the guy I mentioned to you that drove off the end of a pier mm -hmm. and caused the deaths of three other people. He wanted to meet up with them now that he's passed, but he was told that's for later. Okay. So right now, you, what he ended up doing is uh, sitting by the lake that he died in mm -hmm. and watching the sunrise and sunset on it. Okay. He needed to kind of make peace with this place and not be angry at it. Right. And, and it's a process. 
And but not meant as a punishment. It was just that this is what no, no, not at all, not at all. Right. Even the idea of punishment. Um, I remember being disciplined, and the word discipline in Greek is disciple, which just means student. And after I was punished, my dad, after I was disciplined, and he'd make me say what I learned from the experience so that I wouldn't repeat it. Right. Right. And to me, that's good uh, discipline. And sometimes in the afterlife, people are needing to do that with... uh, with experiences that happened during this lifetime where they made matters worse. Exactly. They don't have their nose rubbed in it. They just need to acknowledge the truth of it. Right. In other words... So they're, they're not shamed. They're just made to acknowledge whatever's true. Or understand it, because sometimes maybe... God, sometimes people evolve into... And like what we're describing here, alcoholism, you know, maybe that that's just the symptom, but they never really understood the cause. And maybe they need to work that out or recognize it and understand that that's where it took them in their lives when they were alive. But yeah, yeah. you would think and that that introspection, you need a little bit of time to get there. It all, it all it comes down to truth and people just need to learn the truth of who they are. And I believe that work is, uh, is cumulative. If we, if we work on our stuff here, there'll be less to do hereafter. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you can tell the truth of your life here and not be ashamed and just own it, then uh, you, uh, your chances of passing easily are much improved. Yeah, and the, and and you're, and sometimes we really have a hard time with being truthful to our, about ourselves to yes. ourselves. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, <laughs> that's know. right. And and uh, but even if that happens, there's still a remedy for it later. But that's what I've learned. Yes. Don't worry about it. Not everything has to happen by the stroke of midnight. We don't know when midnight comes. Right. And none of us know the moment of our death. And yes. and sometimes one of the things I've seen is, is some kind of sweet uh, attempts at reconciliation in the afterlife where people are ready to mm-hmm. be greeted by somebody that they had been at odds with. Right. And that, yeah, and, and, and you know, you, you always hear about Sometimes people that pass away and they never get that chance because they were either stubborn or they just didn't have a chance. They died unexpectedly or that person wasn't ready to like come to their bedside, let's say, for example, and or they or they themselves were so full of anger or not being able to forgive. Yes, I try to tell people that I believe if, for example, if you had cantankerous parents or one parent that was a mess Mm -hmm. and there was no good at parenting because their life was so out of control, um, I I believe it's possible to pray for them and hope for a time when in the afterlife when you get to meet the whole healed version of them. Yes. Yes. And and where uh, and that there's there's all kind of ways it operates. I've seen people that. Go back. Just, I, I was with a young with a woman who um, was sexually abused at the age of four, and then went on to lead a life of many decades. Mm-hmm. But always felt like she had to fake a childhood. Right. And other people talked about happy childhood memories. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to stick out. Okay. Uh, but she didn't. She didn't really feel like she had what they had. Okay. And then after she died, uh, she learned that that was. The, the reason, and she decided that she needed to be four years old in the afterlife. And she wanted a chance to grow up in the afterlife 
like other people did and learn the lessons without that overlay of abuse in the background. Right. And that's, and that's, and somehow the afterlife provided that opportunity for her. Right. An individual soul choice that she made. Yeah. Yeah. And that she wasn't the only person making that choice. One of the things I've learned is that there's lots of different groupings that are sort of like um, Montessori schools or academies. Mm -hmm. If there's like Ray, he, he decided after he learned how to greet his wife, he enjoyed doing it and decided, he asked, can I learn more about this? I'd like to do more of this. And so he essentially signed up for classes. Okay. And he was he, becoming he a social guy, school. in other words. Yeah, he, had, he didn't like school when he was in it. Uh-huh. Uh, growing up in Georgia, he said they, te- they always wanted to teach me things I didn't want to know. Okay. And... Uh, and then one that was something that he was really highly motivated to learn, found out that he was really a good student. And, and of course, that always comes back to, he was 20 years old when he passed. Okay, yes, so he, he didn't was, get to. He was, in a way, that even really didn't get a chance to learn about it. I mean, you learn, but not really. There's, there's still a lot of stuff that when you're still 20 that you haven't really kind of like gotten a grip on about you, what, who you really are, kind of. So, exactly. And, and I've, I've watched people kind of recognize that, that at the time that I died, I was young and inexperienced, and now I have more experience, and, uh, and now I understand that what happened differently. Yes. Yes. And I wonder also, like you said, that with that understanding, also sometimes people are kinder to themselves about yes, mistakes that they've made. It's important because we're well, we're well made. All of us are well made. Even your worst enemy is well made. God made only good. Something happened along the way to cause that jerk to behave like a jerk. Right. But and and, and it makes you wonder, do they, do, maybe once they get the, the, the story, the full story, like what you said, hey, that guy that was such a jerk or a bully or whatever, Later on, I found out why or what happened. What's the background story on this person? And it kind of like, you're like, oh, okay, now I kind of get it. Uh, yeah, and you but there's nothing sorry. magic about it. People, people still have to choose to move through it. Mm-hmm. They don't have to keep up with the rest of the group. They're not going to be shamed that by now they should have been further along. They just move at the pace that they're willing to move. And eventually it works itself out. Well, I'm going to need to go. Yes, I'd love to I was be a guest today. Nathan, have more thank questions. you so much. It has been absolutely wonderful to speak to you. By the way, are you planning any new books and new projects for 2020? I do. I have a um, a new book. I hope is coming out in the fall. That will be in uh, another in this series. Uh, okay. I don't know. It doesn't have a title yet, but Afterlife Interrupted Two or something else. Okay. Um, uh, the people keep coming, and I've got probably about a hundred more stories, and I'm going through them and trying to choose ones that I want to have in the next book. I also, um, I tried to create an online video series about this book. Uh, It isn't out yet, and I'm not wild about the the quality of it, but if people are interested and don't mind seeing something that um, is, you know, something's better than nothing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do lots of new things. All this business of writing books and websites and all of this, lots that's new to me. Uh, and not all of it is great the first time. But anyway, if people want to follow me, I'm Nathan-Castle.com is the website. Yes. Um, and then I'm beginning to do um, Facebook Live. They oh, could go okay. on my site, which is just my name, Nathan Castle. Okay. Uh, and I have a new one called Father Nathan Castle that, um, that 
50-week old, so there's almost nobody on it. Um, okay. But anyway, those are ways that people could follow me. And then the book is available on Amazon. Okay. Uh, it's um, the Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Crossover. And my name is Nathan G. Castle, OP. Yeah, I've been showing slides with a cover of the book, and I'll have a link on the credits of the show anyway with a link to your website. Uh -huh. And again, thank you so much for uh, spending this time, and the best of luck on all your new projects. Okay, thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. Likewise. Thank you so much. Wow. I'm telling you, this is such a great interview because... What did you guys think? Let me tell you, you know, you speak to a lot of people who, you know, and you, you work in this field who have communication with people who passed on and God knows there's <laughs> a variety of experiences that people fall into, you know, from people on the Ouija board and all this other crap. And what I like about what Father Nathan was describing was his message of hope, okay, for people that die that in, in some instances you might want to think of them as ghosts or like what he said in purgatory they don't have a body that's alive so they really can't interact but then they're kind of in a gray in-between space where they're not in the presence of the divine they haven't gone on to where they were supposed to go and they're stuck for a variety of reasons okay like what he said about that story about ray and it almost makes you think that it was love for his wife that kind of propelled him at the end. You know, even though it, maybe it did take him that long to be ready, but it's almost love for his wife that propelled him to reach out and get help because he wanted to help her cross over into the afterlife. He wanted to be you know, whether he was kind of like a, 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 like what Father Nathan said, that he was kind of like a caveman style, whether he was possessive, but still at the, at the root of it, I think it was love. Um, and it almost makes you also think without knowing the details of particulars, maybe this relationship, this marriage that he had with a high school sweetheart was maybe when he was experienced really true love, love as in, and I'm not saying his parents didn't love him, but God, to be beaten while you're praying, that's that's not good. You know, maybe this woman had a personality that was soothing his soul, and then he dies. And this love for her is what um, made him reach out from out of his isolation that he was existing in to go beyond it and be there for her it makes you wonder did he think what if this happens to her what if she gets stuck the same way i did so it's almost like this unselfish kind of love that you want to be there for this person uh because you don't want them to go through what you've gone through 
you know, or, 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 or maybe he was waiting for her all along, which, you know, you normally wouldn't think, but who knows, maybe, um, in his mind, of course, it sounds like he's died. Talk about unweird and unexpected and sudden. And maybe in his mind, he had thought, I'm married, I have a child, I've just gotten this business going. And his plans were maybe to spend the rest of his life with this woman that he loved and his child and maybe have more children and everything. And then that went totally sideways, to say the least. So it was almost like, I, I, I don't want... In other words, that recognition, I'm dead and she's alive. And while she's alive, I cannot be with her. But once she dies, I want to welcome her and I want to be able to be with her to resume what I lost when I died. I mean, it's very complex. It's, I imagine it's as complex as human beings can be because God knows the, the, the different things are important to people. I'm sure that maybe Father Nathan has run across some that maybe what they're holding on to, you or him or anybody could look at and go, that's not a big deal. But for that person, okay, in the 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 the, the, the way their mind works and their psyche, whatever, this is important. What he said about that um, that young man that didn't want to leave the scene and he had taken his grandmother's car. And you think, okay, wait a minute. The bigger picture of this is, you know, you're, you've passed on and it doesn't matter. You know, your grandmother's not going to care. Your grandmother's probably passed on. There's no police that's going to come and get you for leaving the scene. But like he said, you kind of like, kind of like stuck on that hamster wheel of thinking. And but what he's talking about is we think that hamster wheel or PTSD, like he referred to it as only for the living but in reality, that personality of our psyche, we still have it after we die. And sometimes it works against us in the sense that it kind of like, if you want to think of it, it's like it holds us back. It tethers us like a leg iron, like if you want to think like a ball and chain from advancing because we still have all these worldly concerns that don't matter anymore. And... You know, I've said it like in other shows, you know, when people say, uh, you know, that they say, oh, you know, my house is being haunted by the guy that built it, whatever. And it's okay. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. There's some point in you, hopefully when you pass away, when you die, that you shed your physical body, that you realize I don't need the house anymore. Yes, I might have built it or uh, I lived here for 40 years. But I don't need it anymore. In other words, that what you would want is for this soul to under, reach that understanding. That this, you don't need this house because you don't have a body. This is for the living. This is for people that need shelter, you know, uh, or, or, or material things or ownership of things. Those are things of, that we have in our ego when we're alive. And in some cases we get over, caught up, especially with the ownership stuff. But, okay, there's other things that maybe we need to survive. You know, like a house, like shelter, like food, uh, whatever it is, but that there's something, to say the least, that changes dramatically when you are not among the living anymore. But when you're still stuck in that mentality of, I need this, or these things matter, 
It could be a question of ego. It could be a question of too much responsibility. It could be a guilt, I imagine. You know, guilt. I sometimes think, like he was saying, some people are really harsh on themselves. Um, they, they don't give themselves a, a, any slack. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe people make mistakes. You know, throughout their lives, sometimes you recognize them when you're alive and you have a chance to make up for it. Let's say, either you make if 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 you hurt somebody, you you have a chance to go back and make it up to them, or at least recognize it. Uh, sometimes it's mistakes that you even make against yourself. In other words, you made you did stupid stuff where you kind of like wreck your life, and you have a chance to like rectify it. And in my experience. Nine times out of ten, when you wreck your life, it's a ripple effect. There's people around you that get affected. Depends how close they are to you. But unless you live on the mountain under the rock, somebody gets affected by it somehow. Okay, If it's not family, it's people around you. But let's say you're one of these isolated type of people. It takes a while for you to realize it, admit it, and come to the conclusion that it's not too late. It's not too late to do something about it. And doing, how can I say this? That recognition or that decision to try to remedy it, it takes a lot of different forms. Like he was talking about 12 step. Part of 12 step is if you can, you apologize to the people that you've hurt. If you can, if they're alive or if you know how to reach them or, you know, whatever. Basically, you know, you, you, you're, you're admitting that you made a mistake and you try to make it right. And you're, you kind of understand that there's people that are going to, if, if you can reach that person that, there's going to be people that accept it and there's people that might reject you, but that you're at least making the overture of saying, I'm sorry. And that's just the process. I mean, there's many things and it's, but it's the beginning of, of making things right. And, but how can I tell you? And, and that's usually, you know, they, they, they do the 12 step for different types of, you know, substance abuse, alcoholism, things of this nature. That's the 12-step the process. But, you know, you could do a mental 12-step. Let's say, um, even when you've done things against yourselves. It doesn't have to be an addiction thing. It could be just mistakes that you made about the way you lived your life. Uh, what if you were one of these people that was really materialistic? Uh, or... That you didn't share enough of yourself. It doesn't. I mean, in other words, it doesn't have to be an extreme kind of thing. Uh, and you can do like a mental twelve step. You recognize it, and, and you have a chance to make it right. But then, the, the, what he's saying is that there's people that they die, and they never get there, or they thought they had a chance, or they thought they had time on their side to make it right. Because you know, sometimes people make mistakes whether it's against themselves or other people or those around them. And, you know, all of a sudden, maybe you were, you were, uh, 
crazy when you were youthful you did stupid stuff or you hurt other people and then you kind of grow up and then you start learning and you recognize man what i did was not right and you have in the back of your mind well not in the back it's there like i, I gotta make it up to this person or persons and then all of a sudden you die and all these intentions that you had they go by the wayside because you always thought especially if you're not really an old person or you weren't sick i still have time to go and see these people that maybe i wronged and tell them i'm sorry or relationships that kind of got and you want to make up to them or at least give them a chance to say look if you don't want to ever look at my face again fine but i'm sorry and if you want to i'm i'll be there you know like talk i'm sorry but you never have that chance so i mean there's a lot of different things that are important to people that you could see why they would sometimes get stuck whether it's misunderstanding about what goes on afterwards anger um guilt i can imagine guilt is a big one um and i was i was curious that's why i asked them also what about people that pass on and they're like under the influence of drugs or they uh, let's say they have dementia and their grip on reality when they're alive is not that good or i mean what happens does that clear up or you know but i, I guess it's an individual thing and and and, and i really like uh which is that you can pray for somebody for their soul not necessarily having to know an exact name or anything in particular except to pray for that person or souls and i and i want to say being a catholic or you know i understand i was raised in, as a catholic that a lot of people don't understand like the purgatory and purgatory sometimes has a really bad connotation to it um to me purgatory is always if if i had to filter it through my understanding it would be to be out of the presence of the divine you're not being punished but you're not really where you're supposed to be and um which it's got to be really a bad place. I, I can't think of being a human soul and not having a human body anymore, which is where you're supposed to be here, doing whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. But then you've not gone on to where you're supposed to be either. Or like he said, you either learn or you progress and you work things out. Whatever it is that your soul needs to achieve understanding or to go to its next step, its next evolution, whatever it might be. Because let's face it, it's that's got to be as individual as we are individual humans. We're all made up of so many different experiences from the moment of our birth all the way to the moment of our death. That it's not a one size fit all. Far from it. Far from it. And um, again, you know, um, I don't want to say this last thing. And I've said it before. Um, I think that a lot of times, especially with these, uh, a lot of these paranormal reality shows, they kind of forget that at the end of the day, when you talk about ghosts and hauntings and everything, what you're talking about is a human soul. 
Okay, and I'm not talking about, you know, these historical places where it's like, you know, it's an urban myth. I'm talking about, you know, when these people, they start doing these, um, some of these investigations or they're, they're trying to hype it up. And if there's so many truth, it's like, you're talking about a human soul, a human spirit, a human being that is trapped for whatever the reason might be, whatever. You're talking about a human soul. How, why would you ever want to keep a human soul tethered? Okay. And I understand what he was saying that this is always comes down to freedom of choice. In other words, when they're ready, they're going to go to where they're, you know, it's ultimately it's always their choice. Okay. But a lot of times you see some of these shows and it's like, Man, this is like, okay, it's entertaining. I'm the first one. I, I think I've looked at about every paranormal reality show that's out there, has been there, has come and gone. And there's almost like a, a, like almost like, this is not, and by the way, this is assuming we're not talking here, make-believe, made-up. Uh, this is not like a, a, a thing we're talking let's say the scenario where it's not somebody's imagination or it's not a made-up thing let's say there is somebody that, that there is an intelligent soul there causing experiences let's say that people are having in this certain location that do you realize that this is a human being just without a body that might be stuck for whatever reason and that really what you should want is to like set it free, move it along, help it like what he does, not want to keep it around because man, I'm making a lot of money. <laughs> you know, people are coming here and they're wigging out because they hear so-and-so walking down the hallway or down the stairs. I don't know. You know, I'm, 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 kind of that kind of person I mean don't get me wrong I'm the first person that I love haunted houses and all that but when you really 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 start thinking about the dynamics of what you're actually talking about it gives it a whole different flavor it gives it a whole different flavor as to you're basically uh, uh, wanting because and, and let me tell you something in my experience I have had that experience in cases where I've had owners of establishments and other places that all they want is the paranormal team to go in there and confirm it or most cases identify it but move it on no 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 no, no leave it there oh no don't, don't, don't move that ghost along don't that don't cross them over no 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 and you're like what why would you want that no, because there's something going on. They're excited. If it's if it's uh, if it's a, a, an establishment, no, you know we're it's gonna be haunted. And it's like, um, okay, yeah. but again, and I've said it before. Usually, that doesn't end up good. That that doesn't have a good ending for the living, especially. All right, it doesn't. And, and I've said that before numerous times. But anyway, guys, I hope you really like the show. I love I loved speaking to Father Nathan. Uh, like I said, the link to his uh, website will be on the credits of the show. If not, it's nathan-castle.com. 
And of course, if you have any stories, contact me at Marlene at MyMigglesChronicles.com or MarlenePardo.com. Uh, I've got a lot of super interesting guests coming on. If you go to MyMigglesChronicles.com or MarlenePardo.com, I also have links to the YouTube videos or you can either go and listen to the mp3 file download the mp3 file or i have links to the different podcast platforms like itunes spreaker iHeartRadio, deezer you name it uh i've got all my shows which is uh stories of the supernatural.info nightshade.com and supernaturalstorytime.com all of those individual episodes are all found on all the major podcast platforms Again, guys, you're all wonderful, and thank you so very much for being part of my audience. Take care.